Hello, handsomes. Come on in and make yourself at home. Let's just take a moment to breathe, yeah? It's been a pretty tough month, hasn't it? It seems like every day, if not every few hours, we're hit with some fresh hell to contend with. More blood on our hands. But you know what? Let me tell you something about fresh hell. It makes for a great story. And... Just as shamans once used to tell tall tales to communicate methods of survival to their communities, we need stories because they remind us that others have gotten through hell and come out on the other side. And sometimes we need that reminder in our own lives. We also need stories as a break, so cut yourself some slack and listen good. This show is about your friend's stories. It's called Personally Speaking, and it likes you just as you are, scars and all. And yes, I mean you. I'm your host, Christiana, and the four handsomes you'll hear from today are Tanha Dill, Mal Smith, Devin Simonson, and Nikki Bailey. Nikki's story has a structure that is truly a treat, so I encourage you to stick around for it. They'll all be speaking to the theme of school dance. I called my grandma up to try and like wriggle a story out of her this month and found out only that she bought her own prom dress with money she earned from an after-school job, which is a unique story only if you are white and upper middle class. Before we get into the show, I've got a couple quick announcements. Uh, First, listener locations. Wow, I love to creep on you guys. I can't see anything more than your city, but uh, shout out to listeners in Honolulu, Hawaii, Sturbridge, Massachusetts, and Mount Pleasant, Iowa. I see you, and I'm happy you're on board. Send me some fan mail. One of our speakers today is Mal Smith, who hosts a podcast called A Few Beers In. She and I are good friends, and we will be doing another guest episode. So I will be joining AFBI at SDCC. We're all going to get together for Comic-Con, and we'll record an episode there. So keep an eye out for it, and if you haven't yet, listen to the backlog of A Few Years In. It is easily one of my favorite podcasts. Lastly, and perhaps I suppose most importantly, um, August 12th is going to be, personally speaking's first show at Open Space on Fairfax. I better see you guys there. Holy heck. Oh boy. Yep, that's the truth. We got, we got a venue, you guys. August 12th, August 12th, August 12th. Open Space on Fairfax. Lastly, before we get into the show, and I know you are chomping at the bit by now. You don't want to hear me talk anymore. It's a really tough time to be in the world. That's the best way I can put it right now. But I'm telling you, the only way we're going to get through this is together. So show some gratitude, text your friends, and go to the movies. I'm like, I'm so serious. Take a break from the onslaught of terrible news that seems to be something we're addicted to it's okay text your friends go to the movies text your friends go to the movies and listen to personally speaking guys let's get the show started are you ready to start the show (laughs) 
Matt, I don't think they're ready. Uh, guys, are you ready to start the show? Are you ready to start the show? Are you ready to start the show? Excellent. Family, friends, foes, whatevers, frenemies, etc. Welcome to the one-year anniversary of Personally Speaking. Thank you very much. That applause is for me and only me and not you who have shown up every month in the la- over the past year and made this possible. Thank you, guys. I couldn't have done it without me. I really, I really deeply, like, I genuinely appreciate this. It's actually insane that we made it here so far. And it's like, you guys are like, yeah, sure, we'll show up to any part of Los Angeles to sit on chairs, maybe the floor, maybe kind of outside with the door open, with, like, varying levels of acceptable heat. I appreciate that you guys are here. Uh, Personally Speaking is a show that has, as you all know, for a year now, been based on the idea that your friends have good stories to tell, and any friend of yours is a friend of mine. So, we have a fantastic lineup for you tonight. I handpicked all these people because I saw them perform, or specifically know that they are decent, interesting, lovely, beautiful people with stories to tell. So... Actually, before we even begin into it, let's really quickly give a hand for one of the people who is telling a story tonight, who's providing this space for us. Give it up for Devin Simonson, everybody. Thank you, Devin. Yes, beautiful. Tonight, we're going to have Tan Hadil, we're going to have Jenny Yang, we're going to have Mal Smith. Devin himself is telling a story as well, and closing out the show is Nikki Bailey. You guys, every single one of these human beings is a tome, a tome of interesting stories, and they're going to share with you on the theme of school dance. Interestingly, um, all my school dances were flawless, so I don't have any stories about school dances for you. I just have a keen eye for the aesthetic. So what I will be getting into, for those of you who were here last month and heard my tequila stories, I learned nothing. Um, What I will be getting into is the second time that I drank tequila uh, with some friends. Recently, we went went out for uh, a kind of girls' night specifically uh, looking for girls night. And we, uh, friends, friends of mine went and had, we had, like generally I am barricaded by the most delightful group of exclusively gay men that anytime I go out to the bar, there is like multiple walls and a moat between me and any sort of possibility of getting laid by another person. So we're like girls night. And girls night in this case, as I pointed out, is not necessarily just hanging out with the girls, but also scouting for the girls. So we head down to the Abbey for a girl bar and we're kind of like, we're, we're deciding that this is gonna be, this is gonna be our night. So before we do that, we all were like, okay, we're gonna regroup, we're gonna group up the apartment first. And like I said, my experiences with uh, tequila in the past should have taught me something, but uh, I am functionally insane. I don't know, I feel like my experience, my experience with, uh, with, with shots, uh, specifically with shots of tequila, is a little bit like my experience with suicidal thoughts, to where I'm just like, what couldn't hurt? What couldn't hurt? <laughs> and then suddenly I'm face down on the floor, it's real weird. Uh, so, we all meet up, <laughs> we all meet up at my, friend's, at my friend's apartment, and I'm thinking I'm gonna be the MVP because I brought strawberry lemonade vodka. And that should just be called white girl poison, but everybody is, is like, um, okay, cool. Well, we already have like three of those in the freezer, so if you want, we can have some tequila and I'll pour you a real drink. I was like, great, thanks. Um, and so my friend proceeds to pour two full shots of tequila and maybe like spritzes some margarita mix on top. 
into a glass, and I'm like, okay, I guess tonight is going differently than how I expected. And, uh, and I'm like, I'll roll with it. I'll roll with it. It'll be fine. So we, we begin, we start pouring back drinks, taking drinks, and then we're like, okay, we'll at least do a shot of this strawberry lemonade vodka before we go. And we decide, okay, this can't, like, nothing can touch us. None of us really feels drunk yet. And we are all miserably poor, so let's also bring an entire flask of Jack Daniels to the bar. We'll order some plain old Cokes and pour that on top. So before I tell you what happens next, I'd like to bring up our first storyteller. I recently saw her, <laughs> recently saw her perform at uh, the Women's Center for Creative Work, and she absolutely like blew me away. I immediately approached her. I was like, do you want to do a show? I have a show for you to do. So please give a warm welcome to Tanha Dill, everybody. Come on up. Growing up, I was pretty much, um, I didn't have friends. I didn't really get invited many places. Um, I was kind of raised like a hamster. I had, I had a bed. Um, I had a shit ton of moon pies and little Debbie snacks. Um, and I had a TV that constantly played TBS, which is not really that funny. Um, and I didn't really have a lot of parental supervision. But what I did have were John Hughes movies and Saved by the Bell episodes and a, a good amount of white television shows to tell me what real life was like outside. So I always hoped that even though I was a loser at that point, someday I'd grow up and I'd go to a school dance and I'd finally have my Molly Ringwald moment. And then I'd cross over to, like, real life and not be a loser anymore. And that kept me going. And then sixth grade came around, and all the weight that I gained from little Debbie desserts didn't wear off. And I still was insecure, and I was like, it's okay. I'll have a year worth of planning, right, and a proper eating disorder, and I'll lose the weight. <laughs> And then my seventh grade, when like a proper dance rolls around, I'm gonna be fucking ready. I'm gonna be cool. That also didn't happen. Seventh grade finally did come, and we had these weird dances at school, and I always felt like they were kind of like scams, because you always had chaperones, and you always had teachers, and you always had weird music, but there'd be kids selling snacks there, and all the money that was raised, and I don't know why you would charge for a middle school dance. $10 for what? Um, and I don't know where all that money was going to, but I didn't think about it at that time. I think I was just very insanely obsessed with having my Molly Ringwald moment, because I wanted to be like every white kid out there. I wanted to be normal. The first dance, no one asked me, and... Um, I didn't ask them either, and uh, I remember I asked my mom, I was like, can I go to a school dance? It's on a Friday night, and she just looked at me and didn't say anything, and then went back to her life, and I was like, okay, <laughs> uh, it's cool, it's cool. I'll just lie next time. That'll get me somewhere. So I planned. There was a, next, there was a new dance coming up. 
I don't know what the theme was. I don't even know why it was. And um, I planned. I planned and pre-planned. We had one popular girl in school, and that year, and you could tell she was popular because all the girls were infatuated with butterfly clips. And I don't know if you remember that, but they were a really big thing, and they sold them at Claire's, and everybody had them except me. And you can tell how popular a girl was by the amount of butterfly clips that were in her hair. And Jeanette Rodriguez always had 27 and up. (laughs) And uh, I remember... If I could be her friend, she'll give me tips, and then she'll teach me how to be pretty, and she could be like my uh, fairy godmother. And all these things were in my head, and I kept making up stories, and I would constantly watch Jeanette to see if there was a moment where I could sneak in and like be that friend that she would want to be friends with. And my moment came. Social studies, Jeanette Rodriguez got her period, and the only creep that was watching her was me. And she didn't have a jacket, and I saw her bloody mess, and I went up to her and said, hey, you're bleeding. Here's my my sweatshirt. I'll walk you to your car. Uh, Because it was sixth period, and the bell rang, and everything worked out so perfectly. And she looked at me, and she was like, "Uh, yeah, sure. So she took my sweatshirt, put it on her butt, had her blood all over it, and I gladly walked her to her mom's car. Um, and while we were walking, no one was talking, but I asked her, I was like, hey, um, could you help me get ready for the school dance? And what do you, I mean, you can't say no to a girl who just gave you her sweatshirt. So, <laughs> so she said yes, and, and I was like, can I stay over your house? <laughs> And she's like, why? And I was like, well, if I'm going to get ready at your house, it makes sense. It makes sense. Uh, So she said, yeah. And then I felt like she was going to reluctantly say no. And I was like, I'll do your homework, too. I'll do your homework, too. I'm really good at school, but you have friends. And she was like, okay, cool. And um, that was it. I was set. I was set. Now I needed to lie more. So (laughs) I went home. The dance fell on a Thursday, and we also had early release day on Thursdays, and that's when you leave. I don't know why, but you leave school early, and that's great. So I had time in between to go to Jeanette's house and get ready. What the fuck am I going to tell my mom? I told her, I told her, I, I needed to do somebody's project, and it took like two whole days, and she was like, fine, give me a call, tell me where you are, blah, blah, blah. I was finally going to a real person's house to hang out, and everything was working out, and she didn't know there was early release day, and Jeanette's mom was going to pick us up, and we were going to go to her house and get ready. I didn't have a dress. I didn't have a dress. And so I went to Jeanette, and I was like, hey, if I paid you money, would you let me wear your, like, clothes and she was like uh okay she was so nice to me so I gave her ten dollars and she let me wear a tube top and a skirt and uh I mean I was I was always in Kmart clothes so like a tube top and skirt were like a big thing and 
And uh, she was like, you have to wear a bra with it, because I don't have a bra for you. And I was like, I'll wear a bra. So I stole my mom's bra, a lacy bra, because all my bras were gross. And they were all sports bras. Uh, and so I, I stole a lacy bra from her. So weird, because it was really large. And, <laughs> and everything was working out perfectly, perfectly. I was already at her trailer home, and <laughs> I was getting ready, and uh, everything was going perfectly. I had uh, another brown friend in this white school. His name was Imad. Imad always wanted to be my friend because I'm the other relatable brown person, but I hated him. <laughs> he reminded me of everything I was, but I'm not going to be that anymore. I'm a cool brown person, so I would never talk to him. And Imad went home that day. Imad's mom thought it was great to call my mom and say, why don't you come over with your daughter? And we could go to Dunkin' Donuts and have a fucking donut. <laughs> and my mom was like, she's not home yet. She's going to go over to a friend's house. And Imad's mom said, why isn't she home yet? School was let go early. So my mom very patiently waited on the phone, and I think she called someone and figured out that there was a school dance that night. And my mom's a conniving woman. <laughs> she didn't let me go easily. So I got ready. We all showed up at the dance, right? I'm going to go in in my tube top and skirt. Everything's going to go great. I'm going to have my first kiss, because that's what happens at dances. And I'm going to be popular the next day, and everything's going to be fine. My mom was in the parking lot. Um, she saw me get out the car. Uh, I'm Muslim. So not a terrorist, but I am a Muslim. Um, <laughs> my mom saw me get out. And she called out to me. And uh, I saw her. Long story short, she had a tartan Indian dress. And if you, don't want, if you don't know what tartan is, it's what kilts are made out of. It's really ugly. She had a dress for me. She made me wear it in the parking lot. Heavy embroidery. She made me go inside the school with it on. With it on. She made me dance to back that ass up. <laughs> and I had to sit there the whole three hours and then go home and not ever go back to a dance again. Thank you. That was my story. Guys, keep it going for Donna Dill. That was incredible. Uh, you can see why I was immediately drawn. That's, uh, that's incredible. Okay, so, um, trying to figure out where we were in the story. Yes, okay. We head to the Abbey. Oh, dear, the Abbey. Dear old Abbey. Uh, we head to the Abbey for Girl Bar. And that particular evening, we basically head straight for the dance floor, decide... Um, we're going to do a couple things. The first thing we're going to do is glare at all these straight men who are, like, forming a wall at the back bar just to stare at all the girls who are kissing girls. Um, please leave. Secondly, uh, we are going to dance our asses off. Uh, and then uh, 
get more drinks. First round, we order four Cokes. I'm assuming the bartender either thought we were cheapskates or alcoholics, which is fine. And then we all dash to the bathroom, cram ourselves into a bunch of stalls, like, woo, we're so bad. And we pull out the flask and we start pouring obscene amounts of, uh, of the Jack portion of Jack and Coke into these, into these glasses. And, uh, and the thing that I said next is really uh, my undoing and always has been in stories like this, which is, you can give me more. I really don't feel that drunk. That should really be like the Doppler sound of an ambulance going by in my brain that's like, whoop, nope, 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 nope. And it never is, folks, it never is. Uh, so we leave the ma- leave bathroom, get back on the dance floor, and we're dancing for maybe two minutes. Two minutes when I see the coolest looking girl I've seen in probably, in probably, I don't know, probably middle school when I was like beneath, like physically beneath older cool girls. And, just probably about probably about my age, maybe a couple years on me, but she had like half her hair was dyed. It was like this white, beautiful, like white platinum color. She had like gorgeous cat eyeglasses, flawless red lipstick that remained flawless for the entire night. A feat I have never achieved. You guys will see this before your eyes, before your very eyes. <laughs> You'll see. Later in the show, you're gonna be like, ah, oh, she was right. Uh, so <laughs> So I see her, and she's dancing alone, and I was just like, who the hell's dancing alone? It's girl bar. And so uh, initially, my, uh, my instinct of, uh, generally is just like, oh, a cool girl's on her own. Like, let's just invite her to our group. I also realized for the first time in my life, I was like, I can use that to get a girl to kiss me. This is awesome. So being a monster, I decided, I'm like, hey, come and dance with us. You seem cool. And so she, uh, she starts dancing with us. We're dancing for a while. We're all having a great time. All my friends are enjoying. And, like, uh, finally she kind of leans in. We've been dancing for a while. She's like, I feel like I should kiss you. And I was like, Australian, Australian. No holds barred. We are in. Let's go. And so and I was like, you should. And my friends in the background are, like, doing cartwheels. They're just, like, freaking out. They're going insane. They're so excited. And, uh, and it was great. It was literally exactly like kissing any other human being. It was wonderful. Which, I'm a big, big, big proponent of more making out in this world. So, she and I kiss for a while. Uh, we all kind of keep dancing. The night goes on. And we all, um, we all show, we're like, flask, yeah? And so we all go back to the bathroom, continue to fill our drinks, and then uh, head back out onto the dance floor. And at this point, I at least can sense that I'm drunk. Um, choose not to stop again. But uh, at this point, <laughs> at this point, I'm having too much fun. So we proceed to start kind of forming a nice little circle. And she says what is possibly like the best thing that any cute girl could ever say to me, which is, do you smoke? And she like puts a cigarette in my face and I was like, ah, ah. and so where I'm already like, pouring rivers of sweat down my body. So we go out to the back patio. She uh, is really cool, and I really want to impress her, so I smoke, like, six cigarettes in a row, which is definitely going to be the death knell for Act 3. And after kissing for a while, we go talk about feminism for an hour. I was like, this isn't real, right? This is not... This doesn't happen. And we're, we're just talking for a while, and I'm starting to, like, feel... Like, after these, you know, like, drinks 
cigarettes, the mood was that, but I'm starting to like really feel something powerful coming up my throat. So I was like, I need to go to the bathroom, bye. And I dashed to the bathroom, immediately shut the door behind me, and before even turning around in the toilet direction, vomit pure water into my hands. Adorable. Adorable. And I'm like, well, water, when you're using your hands as a cup, not really. It, your, your hands don't function as a cup um, when there's that much. So just like, well, end game. Turn around, continue to vomit, uh, as though I am a high schooler ingesting alcohol for the first time. This is how much I had had to drink in such a short period of time, and I, I do hope that I learned from this one. Um, it's like, okay, I hope no one noticed. And then at uh, th- this point, I'm like, like kind of like stepping over water to go back outside. I uh, take at least uh, a swig of the drink that I had ordered uh, while we were sitting out there. And then it's 1.45, they sort of like half turn on the lights, everybody gets a little shudders, they see who they're with, and the Abbey is about to close for the night, so friends all regroup, and we're like, all right, let's go back to our friend's house, the, the apartment we were at the beginning, and, uh, and this Australian girl's gonna come with us, and I was like, yes, cool, don't know what's gonna happen next, but cool. And, uh, and so we all start, we, we grab an Uber, a uh, Lyft, whatever, whatever's more socially conscious, and, uh, and um, we head back to her apartment, and we start banging the door and realize that our friend had got in before us, but she, had didn't, she did not get in alone. That girl locked the door, had a partner for the evening, and fell asleep with the three of us standing outside. I do not recall what happened next. I do know that I woke up at 6 a.m. on the floor of her hallway next to my friend. The Australian dame was gone. Fine. But when I think about it, I'm like, I wouldn't have known what the hell to do next. I don't know about you guys, but I don't take a test without studying. So it's not the same to just reverse it. I don't know. So I'm like, wow, actually kind of dodged a bullet. I think I actually got the best possible introduction to to that situation. And so I was like, okay, great. Kind of like dust myself off call an Uber, wake up my friend, just like very gently, again, sort of like, like dog, just like dog friends um, hanging out on the floor, and I was just like, oh. jump up, and we, uh, we both kind of like avert each other's eyes at this point, head home, and a little button on this story, I get home, do something I literally never do, which is sleep until noon, immediately 6 a.m., wake up, go home, sleep until noon, wake up again, Start putting on my clothes, notice, like, what's that gunk on my shoes? I probably did that. And then um, start rifling through my stuff, and I'm like, the Australian babe stole my cigarettes. (laughs) No! She was so cool. At some point, I remember her putting her hand in my purse for something. I don't know what it was. And then I'm like, Australian babe stole my cigarettes. Dames are cruel, friends. Dames are cruel. Um, They are much cooler than the alternative, but cruel. Uh, so the next storyteller coming to the stage is a very good friend of mine. She runs an excellent podcast called A Few Bears In. She's done the show before, so you guys know her, you love her. Put your hands together for Mal Smith. Thank you much, my lady. I 
to one school dance ever, and it was for 20 minutes, and it was uneventful. Um, in high school, I was not a loser, but I was not popular. I wasn't even the invisible girl you can write like cool indie movies about, where she like goes home and explores her sexuality. Um, I was just kind of there. I checked in, did my work, just like enough to get a C, checked out. And so instead of going to school dances or having a social life or knowing the names of literally anybody else I went to school with, um, I decided to spend my days at pop punk shows because it was 2007. <laughs> and that's what you do. All right, I did. Um, so I re quickly realized that it's everything I missed out on school dances that I feel like would have prepared me for that exact situation would have like come in handy because it's the same thing, um, just with adults. And then a lot of teenagers who have like cool little black X's on their hands. Um, I, it's the same hierarchy. You have the same cliques you do that you have in high schools. Um, so the, like the headlining band in the cool music scene, they are the jocks. They're playing at the top of their game. They're probably not gonna make it to the pros, but like everybody in the place worships them. Uh, obviously, the supporting bands, they're JV. They're also never going to make it, but like you might have a chance to make out with them later. Um, there's always the cool girls who are wearing the heels to the shows, who step on your feet and then just like sneer at you when they walk by. That's not, I'm not like, it's like brings tears to my eyes because it was really scarring as a child because I was a 15 year old girl with neon green stripes through my dirty blonde hair, not like platinum blonde. It was like as if like just take like mousy hair and try to color a highlighter over it over and over again. Um, I thought that was a cool look. So I spent all my days there. I was like, every other weekend and one time, my favorite band in the world was playing a show in Anaheim, and all my cool friends from my cool nerd group <laughs> um, of the bands were going. So I was like, do you know what? I'm going to go to Anaheim. I'm going to go to the show. The guy that everybody was obsessed with was this British guy named Wayne. He was the cool kid. Everybody loved him. The jocks loved him. The band was obsessed with him. They thought he was the coolest because he came over from England to see them, even though they only had one album and like 200 fans. <laughs> Um, and I happened to be friends with him. I had an in. Um, so I had to go to the show he was going to be at and hang out with all the cool people. This was finally going to be my in to the cool crowd. I'd hang out with the band because every cool band of 25-year-old men want to hang out with a 15-year-old girl. That's, like, sadly true, which is why no one laughed. <laughs> um, they did not want to hang out with me, but I was determined. So, like, any 15-year-old kid... I did not have a license. Uh, it's California. Had a permit. That didn't help. I still needed my mom to come. So I asked my mom to come. <laughs> and she drove me in her gold suburban from Sacramento, California to Anaheim, California. Yeah, that is, this is, this is a seven-hour drive to go see a band <laughs> so I could be cool. That's some dedication and love. I'm sorry. Um, but we got there. And I met up with all my friends. We got, it was just like a high school dance because we got a hotel room for the night to hang out with my mom in. Um, and we, went, we show up, and then all the cliques kind of start to emerge. My nerd friends are there. There's this one girl uh, who was one of my best friends. She was about 6'2", 
and had hair down to her butt of a 6'2 body. So that's like seven feet of hair. That, don't, don't do the math on that, please. Um, but she was gorgeous. She was the 15-year-old girl that the band wanted to hang out with. Um, and she was going to be my in. Like, she was going to get me with the cool guy, the cool British guy. We were going to hang out, obviously. Then the band was going to invite me to do so. I didn't really know what. I, didn't, I knew I didn't want to make it anything sexual because I hadn't even kissed a boy yet. Um, I just knew I wanted to be there, and that was the place to be. That was until we get there. I'm hanging out with my friends. She goes around the corner to go talk to the cool lead singer, and then I hear the rest of the band start to make fun of her. I know. I hear the guitarist guy. He's just like talking to his friend. He's just like, that girl's so weird. She's got long hair, but like, literally that's what he said. She's got long hair, but like, that was the end of the story. And that as like a 15-year-old kid who was putting all my eggs in this basket, that was crushed. I was like, no, I gotta cut ties. I cannot hang out with this girl anymore. The band doesn't think she's cool, guys. So that's when you throw away like two years of friendship. <laughs> For un- unclear reasons. Um, and I went into the cereal bar next door uh, to the venue because also it was 2007 and somebody decided like a place where you could go order a bowl of cereal with your specific choice of milk was like a great business model. It's closed now. <laughs> and we went there and I hung out with the rest of the band and my friends. And I proceeded to make fun of my friend. <laughs> and I remember she came in and I pretended not to know her, even though I was she. Came, I came with her, like she was with all our friends, um, but and I was with the people she was coming to see. There was no way I was going to get out of it. But I was just like sweating profusely, neon green, yellow stripes um, that were had been faded at that time. So like I was pretty sure nobody noticed until that exact moment. And she comes in, she comes and like stands with us. One of my other friends is talking about how she's really attracted to guys who have cancer, and it's really awkward at the exact moment. <laughs> it's the appropriate reaction. Um, and I just, I just go like, just stand like this. She's like right next to me, and I'm just like, hey, just don't make eye contact, don't do anything. Um, and then nothing happened because literally, that I didn't know what to do. I just walked away and I left. There is no ending to that part of the story. I'm sorry. Um, because you know what? I didn't learn how to handle social situations because I didn't really go to high school that much. I just, all I would do was just walk away and leave. Um, and the only time I ever did anything else, I tried. I tried to go to a school dance. And I got there, and I went with my sister. And we got, I was wearing, with my neon green striped hair, an Indiana Jones fedora. <laughs> Jean shorts for a man <laughs> that I had spray-painted white on the sides. A baseball tee that was too small for my boobs, but too large for my arms. It was homecoming, so it was like a casual dance. Um, and I found a $100 bill on the ground. Yeah. I went to a white high school, so like, they were all, they just had $100 bills. I'd never seen a $100 bill before. And so I just took it, and I didn't know what to do, so I left, because that's how I handle social situations. Um, and then I went to BJ's and ate a pizzuki. <laughs> It's the appropriate reaction. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> Keep it going for Mal Smith. Uh, a Few Beers In is one of my favorite podcasts, and as I've mentioned before, the actual possible weirdest thing about it is it's made me a fan of my friend, 
which is a very weird feeling. Um, sometimes when Mal texts me to hang out, I'm like, oh my God, I get to hang out with Mal Smith. <laughs> like, that's, she's been my friend for several years now, uh, much to her chagrin. I uh, <laughs> very much in, in line with my personal, personal brand. Uh, I found, found a little cat recently, instantly fell in love. This cat was a stray. This cat, um, damaged cat, because why else would I fall in love with it? Uh, so this cat had like a couple scabs on its back and it seemed to be like having a lot of ants or fleas or something. And I was just like, baby, you're so cute. I love you. Love me. I love you. And, uh, and so I would just go and I was like, well, clearly this cat needs like some light medical attention. Something's going to have to happen. But, uh, I asked the lady who seemed to be nearest the cat if she, uh, was an owner of the cat or she knew who, who it belonged to. And she's like, oh, I just need to take him to the vet. They like, they'll keep him overnight for $15. I'm like, you're a liar. I can tell right now you're not taking this cat anywhere. Otherwise the cat would already be, uh, in good condition. So... Uh, so I was like, okay, weird. Maybe she's telling the truth. I'll come back tomorrow. I'll just bring this cat water, which is my version of paying the cat compliments. Um, so I come back the next day, bring the cat water. Cat has not been checked into this overnight vet. Uh, come back the next day, bring the cat water. I'm just like playing with the cat, kind of petting it, just like asking it, please, to validate me. And, uh, and <laughs> Uh, continued just coming back, and I was like, well, okay, so uh, by day three, I was sprung for this cat. I was like, okay, let's, I need to get you to the vet, because no one else is doing it, and I have uh, a lot of issues, I mean, from caretaker stuff. Anyways, it's real fun, so, but I was just like, okay, the decent thing to do is just, like, get this cat to the vet, and so I book an appointment, and I'm like, I don't have things that you would carry a cat in, how do I get it there? And so I, I start uh, reaching out to some, to some friend groups, and I was just like, do you have a thing I could hold a cat in? A carry case? A poly pocket? What do you put them in? I don't know. And, uh, and then she's like, it's not that hard. You go to Petco and just like get a cardboard box. They're free. I drive all the way to Petco. They're like, ah, yeah, some lady came in yesterday and got the last one. Sucka. I was like, can you call the nearest one? He's like, hmm. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, I'll do it. Like, I could see on his face he did not want to just make the call to the nearest Petco for some reason and ask if they had more car cardboard carriers. So anyway, I was like, cool, you're so excited about this cat, I can tell. And um, he calls. They don't, the other location doesn't have him either. So I start re reaching out to more friends. Somebody says, I have one I'm not using. So again, making more plans, going out of my way to like save this cat because clearly it needs my love to be fully formed as a human. And I don't want to think about searching for a job. So I'm like, yeah, I will save this cat. So flash forward to the day of the vet appointment. And I go, it's like dusk. I'm like bringing the cat evening water. Um, and I... <laughs> Uh, the cat recognizes me right away. I flipped out. The cat just like, I was bending. I was like, hey, little kitty. Cat jumps into my lap. Oh, my God. I was like, this is it. I have everything I need forever. It's just you and me in this world, little kitty. And then, uh, and then the next day, she scratched me. So, um, <laughs> fuck her. <laughs> uh, no. So, the next day, uh, I went back because, uh, excuse me, the, that was the day of the appointment. And... I came with, with um, strangely without a, a blanket specifically for the cat, which I should have done, but tried, went to go pick up the cat, was normally like, gave water, scratched behind her ears, and the moment I tried to pick her up, like, you would think that, like, 
if, if cats have a way to like block people on every account, that's what she did. She flipped out, like immediately was just like, ah! like devil screech, jumped out of my arms, and I was like, well, I should probably just try again, that'll work. And so I go and get a blanket. I'm like, little cat, why would you do that to me? Clearly you and I are in love. <laughs> this is weird. And so I'm like, get the blanket. I'm like, all right, so I've got a blanket. You can't escape my love. Let's just, come on. So I <laughs> wrap her up in the blanket. She is double pissed about this, jumps out, scratches me. This is a much healed version of that wound. And, uh, and I was like, okay, I have some things to learn about love. <laughs> One thing is, you cannot love people or animals how you are. You need to love them how they are. So um, I love that cat. That cat knows that I love it because I bring it water. I'm just going to love it from way over here from now on. Bringing water, that can be the entire duration of our relationship. That can be a healthy, loving relationship. The cat gives me enjoyment because I'm just like, hey, little cat, I don't have to clean your shit up. And then the cat gets cold water in 106 degree weather. So I feel like just in that small teensy little interaction, um, I've learned a lot about love. Not that part, but uh, but a lot about a lot about love just from this tiny little cat. Um, it's just been I don't know. It's just been on my mind lately. I haven't I wasn't planning on talking about it tonight, but thought you guys might be interested to hear about um, my codependence in the form of cat loving. Um, your next storyteller <laughs> coming to the stage is one of the people who happens to live here and who has given us this beautiful space tonight. Put your hands together for Devin Simonson. Thank you, Devin. It's weird. I'm usually naked on the stage, so um, I apologize for the clothes, your loss. Um, anyway, uh, I'm Devin. I feel like I should say that just because it is my place. Welcome. It's lovely to have all these beautiful people here, just so you know, okay? Anyway, there's two things that you should know about me, all right? The first is that I am a terrible liar, and I mean like downright rotten, terrible liar. There's just something in me that inherently will tell you the truth. You want to know something about me? Look me in the eyes. Ask me the question. There you go. I see you. There you are. So that's the thing, all right? The second thing that you need to know about me is I was raised in a suburban, non-denominational Christian household where my mother's business happened to be talking to both uh, churches and schools about open communication, about sex, sexuality, and development, all right? It was really, really unique. Everybody here knows what a non-denominational Christian is, right? Raise your hand. That is actually more people than I thought. Congratulations. I won't explain it that much. So um, anyway, the biggest difference to me, at least personally, is uh, Jewish faith, Catholic faith. Uh, they all go through this thing of guilt, right? What a non-denominational Christian upbringing brought with me was, you know, I was saved maybe with the type of behavior that may or may not have been condoned in the Bible. We don't know. So it just developed this neuroses, all right? The second thing is... Growing up in a household where a mother talked about open communication about sex, sexuality, um, and development in a non-denominational Christian context was very, very interesting. Meaning that by the time I was three, what's up, you can come in. By the time I was three, I could walk up to a diagram of a woman's genitals and point out every single part. And I'm not kidding, it'd be like, cervix, <laughs> vagina, labia minora, labia majora. It became kind of like a parlor trick at dinner parties. Gourmet dinner parties is what we had in my house. All right? So I could do that. Three years later, I figured out what was happening with me. 
that kind of stuck. Um, anyway, uh, uh, so uh, you get to a point, and suffice to say, by the time I was in high school, I knew everything about the components of sex, the tools of sex, about development, how to talk to somebody about it. I did not know about the actual practical applications of sex. Also, through the non-denominational Christian upbringing that I had, I was not very good at knowing what was right or wrong, so I just didn't do anything at all. So... <laughs> I just wouldn't fucking do it. Like, I didn't know what I was messing up or not. So when, when Christiana came up and she said, uh, she announced the, the theme. I agreed to do the, the, the show before there was a theme. She said, you know, school dances. My immediate thought was like, fuck. Like, I didn't do anything wrong at a school dance. I didn't know how to have sex. I didn't drink. I didn't do drugs. I wasn't violent. Um, I couldn't do anything at all. It was, it was, it was totally, totally absurd. But I was like, ah, I got to say something. So I started thinking about it. Now, what is the preeminent top, top, Top dance that anybody would go to in their high school experience. You know what it is. What is it? One, two, three. Prom. Prom. Perfect. So here's the thing. Is I had five prom experiences in their entirety. All right? Five. Um, granted, my school had a junior prom and senior ball, but five is actually pretty fucking impressive. Um, so I'm just going to give you the quick lowdown of what these five types of experiences were. All right? So first one, Brittany Pearson. For the sake of anonymity, I'm using their real fucking names. Um, you can get on my Facebook and stalk them, but please don't tell them I'm telling you any of these things. It would, um, I wouldn't change my life too much, actually. So um, her name was Brittany Pearson, all right? Um, her older sister was dating my older brother, um, so we hung out a lot. One time we decided to make some mistakes, and we shared half a bottle of Smirnoff ice, and we kissed a bit. It was really, really rad. So um, she was a junior. She was going to junior prom. I was a freshman. She asked me to go with her. I had to say yes. You know, I just kind of used her for her lips a little bit. Felt kind of bad. I owed her one, so to speak. Um, and I went to go pick her up. And when we picked up, the first thing you do is get pictures, right? Dresses are a big deal. Like, tux is a big deal. That sort of thing. Whatever. Um, and the thing is, she wore the... Not all these stories are nice, all right? Just so you guys know, like, not all of them are nice. Don't judge me entirely. So um, she wore these, like, long black gloves. Cool, right? And a fucking mustard yellow dress. It looked hideous. It was disgusting. So much so that, like, for the years prior, once we got those kind of, like, card pictures that we had, I would show them to strangers and be like, I went to junior prom when I was a freshman. Doesn't she look terrible? Uh, and, and, and so I felt really bad about that. The other thing that I remember really quickly about that is while we were driving, because my parents had to drive me to drop me off to this to take photos, like, match up and everything, right? Um, my parents, who were very, very concerned that I was going to this dance, they said, Devin, now what do you do if she asks you things like, do you want to drink alcohol and do you want to smoke marijuana? I'll look at my parents, you know, through the rear view. I wouldn't be caught dead doing cool things like that with a woman like this. It got me off scot-free. It was lovely. All right, so number two. That was the first problem. Number two, Rose Hakes. Now, Rose, 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 Rose Hakes. She was... A lovely woman, actually. So we did the balcony scene from Romeo and Juliet for a school prep rally on a, on a ladder, which was cool, by the way. How many people, like, who, who was in drama in high school? Yeah, yeah. A lot of people were. Yeah, just all the same. Not, now, how many people did scenes at their pep rallies at high school? Hell yeah. I am unique. Oh, damn it. You ruined it. I didn't see it. Anyhow, so we did this. So I had to go with her. And I was going to go pick her up. Um, I was junior. She was a sophomore. Um, and I went to go pick her up. I went to her dad's place. I could drive at that point. Yay me. Um, and I, I met her dad. We did all the kind of the prerequisite dad things. He shook my hand. He asked me a few questions. What's your name? How are you doing? All that sort of thing. I passed because like, I'm squeaky, squeaky clean. Um, and he said, just one thing. Have her home by 1.30 a.m. And I was like... Offended. I was like, sir, 
Your daughter is an exquisite flower, a rose even. I would not keep her out until the sinner's hour of 1.30 a.m. The dance is over at 11. I will have her back at 11.30. Dance ended at 11. I had her back at 11.15. I'm cool, all right? All right, third dance experience, all right? Third dance experience. Her name is Aubrey Poulsen. Now, Aubrey, Aubrey, Aubrey Poulsen. So by the time I was in high school, um, my family started going to this Wesleyan uh, church that was trying to become a non-denominational church. So there's a little bit of a trans- transition that was happening. Some people like had a lot of strict rules. Other people were like, no, nah, fuck it, love God. Let's have a good time. And Aubrey Poulsen came from like the, 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 the other category, the strict rule category. And so like she, she believed inherently in literally everything that was said in the Bible. And unfortunately, when you believe every single thing literally and strictly in the Bible, sometimes you're a mean person. And she was kind of a mean person. But her boyfriend just broke up with her. She wanted to wear something other than a khaki dress, which was required for Wesleyans. And I said, yes, I'll go to prom with her. Uh, from the actual dance, I don't remember uh, that much. Um, although I think they gave us a, a mix CD, which I do think my mom gave me in my car and I haven't listened to it yet. So appreciate the reminder. I'm going to go listen to that and see how much Taking Back Sunday was on there. It would be fucking great. Um, and so anyway, the one thing I remember is we were leaving. And we were driving from downtown Sacramento to Natomas, which means nothing to most of you, for you and so um i was that's right that's right so i was driving from there and this woman is keening crying and begging me to date her the whole way and i mean like tears dripping down her face like why can't you date me date me please date me i just want to be with you i do not say a single word back to her i just keep my eyes on the road when we get to her place i slow the car down gently push her out as she's crying all the way to her front door and that was the last thing I ever said to her. Ever. Ever. I know. I'm sorry. I said these are not nice stories and they're going to get a little bit worse by the way. Alright, so uh, a fourth one. Fourth one. We're going to do this one quick. My fourth experience was really, really great. I was a senior. I was going to senior ball. I was dating the vice principal's daughter which comes with a various amount of scholastic privileges, meaning that for my last three years of school I took AP and honors uh, arts classes and rarely went to any class when I didn't want to because nobody there cared. Everybody thought I was innocent and everybody liked me. It was fantastic. But I was dating her and that, that problem was like uh, it was really great, actually. You know, it was, it was how they're supposed to go. I picked her up. We did the photos. We had dinners with friends. We danced. We fooled around in my car while I was in a tux, and she was in a dress. So I dropped her off at a reasonable time. We still continued to be friends. And dated after that. It's perfect. So for the sake of you thinking I'm not too squeaky clean on this, I'm just going to give you a little excerpt from a separate story that I could tell you on another occasion. Uh, this one time we were fooling around in a hot tub in her backyard, and her grandma was on the other side of the yard. And um, uh, so we were fooling around. She gives me an HJ. Uh, if you guys don't know what that is, that's a hand job. Um, uh, and in the hot tub, which was not a bright idea for, for, for a toasty, toasty day, we finish up, um, we get out, uh, she leaves, I get out of the hot tub, and I just pass out. Like, I black out on the concrete, half, like, teenage stiff, with, by the way, I don't know if you, like, if you know what happens to semen in, like, hot, like, bodies of water, but it just stays there and floats. Yeah, you had experience. Totally, totally. Uh, my memory was uh, fake as kind of the, the you know, uh, blacking out. So anyway, I'll tell you the rest of that another time if you really want to know about it. So anyway, uh, uh, the last one, and this is the most important one, all right, because I learned a very, very big, big lesson that stuck with me my whole, whole life, all right? So I was a freshman, and I was in ceramics class because I'm cool like that. And um, uh, I would uh, only do uh, things with the pottery wheel. I'd only throw pots. I was a ceramicist. I would not be uh, like caught dead making faces or pinch pots. I was fucking beneath me. 
Um, and, and there's this uh, senior woman. Senior, yeah, that's right, I did it. Um, and, and we became friends over a long time, period of time, like genuine friends. We'd go in there, we'd, we'd, we'd talk every single day, um, uh, we'd exchange jokes, and eventually the friendship turned into flirting eyes. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, I, she'd be over there at the table, gotcha, uh, be over there at the table, I'd be there, like, throwing pots, and she'd be giving me flirting eyes. So eventually she came up, she's like, Devin, the singer ball's coming up, will you go with me? And I said, yeah, of course, sure, why not? Just went immediately back to, like, throwing my pots, all right? So about two weeks later, she comes up to me. It's a Thursday in ceramics class, and she's so excited. She's like, Devin, Devin, the prom is Saturday. I have a limo. I have dinner reservations. I have a dress. Here's the color so you can get an appropriate corsage. Here's what time we need to meet up. Here's how much you owe me for the ticket. And I was like, surprised that she actually meant that she wanted to go with me a few weeks ago. Now, now, now keep in mind, I was 14 at the time. I had no money whatsoever. Um, I, I did not have no desire to go with her um, at all, let alone my mother would not let me go with this stranger who was four years older than me to a random dance in a limo all night, all right? She knew Brittany. We could do that thing. But this woman, uh, I don't remember her name. That's fucking awful. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But um, uh, anyway, I said no. So I'm like, what am I going to do? Because I, I, I could not lie to her. I'm a bad liar. If I tried to make up a lie, she'd see it on my face. She'd be hurt. And I didn't, I wanted to come out on top of this situation. You know what I'm saying? I wanted to be the good guy still. So I come up with a scheme to end all schemes. I was like, Devin, you need to get yourself grounded this afternoon so you have an excuse to get out of the prom this weekend. And I I'd make a lot, uh, the story a lot uh, better if I remembered exactly what I did to get grounded. I'm just going to assume that I stole something, got in a fight, and cursed all at the same time, told my mother, and she grounded me exactly for the weekend. So the next day, she comes up to me in ceramics class, so excited. Like, I mean, I don't know, like, for a second, just for a second, like, like, skip the jokes, for a second, like, can you remember how excited you were for certain things in your life? How genuinely, genuinely pleasurable and, and, and that, 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 that the anticipation of an event could and would be. Like, it fills your f- spirit with fucking joy. And she came up to me with all the joy of four years worth of work just excited to spend a little time with this weird little ceramicist nerd and she's like Devin I can't wait for tomorrow are you excited are you excited and I was like hey kind of a badass I'm a rebel got in a fight stole some stuff cursed all at the same time I'm on ground I mean I can't go she literally died on the inside you could see every hope that she had accumulated over years of years of experience just dissipate and disappear and she just looked me in the eyes and it wasn't I'm upset with you because she understood because I got through that and I had an actual excuse and she just started bawling in the middle of the class I was like oh fuck and I just went back to doing my ceramicist thing and I let her walk away and I, and I, learned, I learned one very very important lesson that I still try to remember Okay, uh, th- that is even though you are an inherently an honest and truthful person, you can still be a major fucking prick. Anyway, that's it. Thank you. So, uh, raise your hand if you have Snapchat. Fuck all of you. I don't want to watch that. I love you guys so much. I love you guys so much. I don't want to watch it. Please, please, let me catch up with you when we talk. 
let me know everything that's cool in your life when we get together and we go for ice cream or coffee or donuts or whatever enjoyable, wonderful thing that, uh, that we specifically set to understand about what's going on in each other's lives. Uh, Alfred Hitchcock said that uh, filmmaking, that the wonderful thing about filmmaking is it's life with all the boring parts taken out. To me, Snapchat puts them back in. I don't want to see that. I love you guys so much. I don't want to go to your cycling class with you. I'm sorry, I love you. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I've just <laughs> really been thinking about that lately. I don't, it's, it's friend, friend vision, which you would think would be my dream come true because I love my friends and, and the idea of friendship more than anything in this world. I detest Snapchat. It, it feels uh, like an extracurricular. Another thing to check. Um, the next storyteller coming to the stage she is such a delight. I also recently saw her perform. She's wonderful. You guys will know her as Nikki Bailey. She's gonna close out the show. Give it up. Thank you. Hi. When I was a kid, I had a very clear vision of what my high school years would be like. So I could have been the very popular girl who was always dressed really well and never seen without lip gloss. I could have been the weirdo girl from the other side of the tracks who could have fit in but chose not to so she could fight for the underdog. Instead, I was the regular girl. You know, not too awkward, not too cool. I was pining away for the, the, the gorgeous popular kid in class and and I was followed around by a little dorky but adorable guy who, you know, just wanted to be with me. Basically, I was Molly Ringwald in any John Hughes film. Like, this is what I wanted. I wanted to be Molly Ringwald. And I thought that those John Hughes movies was it. Like, that's what I was prepared for. I watched those motherfuckers on cable, basic cable, over and over and over with the commercials. I didn't care, I knew it, I watched it, I loved it. That was gonna be me. Imagine my surprise when I got to school and found out that it was nothing like a John Hughes movie, nothing. First of all, I went to Catholic high school and I chose to go to Catholic high school. My parents didn't make me, we were Baptist. Um, but I chose Catholic school because it was really good academically and also because they only had gym once a week. And, you know, all I really had to do was come up with a menstrual emergency, you know, like a symptom of, like, um, dehydration and occasionally lose my gym uniform. And I only had to go to gym, like, once a month. So Catholic school was it for me. But the other big difference between my school and, like, John Hughes film schools was um, there were black people at my school. <laughs> I was the black people. Actually... <laughs> There were five black girls in my incoming freshman class. It was me, Noni Cheney, Michelle Alexander, Michelle Kelly, and Michelle Graves. <laughs> and, um, and there was also a girl who named Tiffany, and she was either biracial or Puerto Rican, I don't know. But just for the sake of this conversation, there was five of us. Um, and there were two black boys in my incoming freshman year class. And my school had a major dance for every class year, right? So we had a freshman dance, which was pretty casual. You didn't have to work really hard at that. You, we all went in groups. The worst you had to do was like beg your parents to get you a new pair of designer jeans. 
shoplift some wet and wild from CVS, you were good to go. <laughs> Sophomore year was a step up, it was a semi-formal. You, you were expected to have a date, but like me and my girlfriends were not allowed to have boyfriends, so we just needed to find a body to go with to this dance. Now, like I said, there were only two black boys in my class, and now I didn't grow up in a place or time where interracial dating was like illegal or dangerous, but it was South Jersey. And in Southern New Jersey, it is still kind of surprising to see interracial couples. So I knew that white dudes were not an option. In fact, I thought that white guys were biologically incapable of being attracted to black girls until I was like 30. And that was only because I went on a date with a German guy, and I thought that was like, he was just European, so I don't know. Like, still figuring that out, actually. Um, so, there were only the two black boys in my incoming freshman class, and I'd known them since kindergarten. Lewis Campbell and I dated briefly in the first grade. We broke up when he pushed me down in the playground. I got a scar on my knee, still to this day, asshole. Chad Bewley and I hadn't spoken since the third grade because he told his mom that the reason he got an unsatisfactory on his progress report is because I kept talking to him in math class and he couldn't focus. Even though my last name is B-A and his is B-E, I was the one who got moved to the back of the class. He's a doctor now, I hate him. <laughs> so okay, I didn't have those two guys as an option. I knew I couldn't date a white guy, I had to find somebody. The only other black boys I knew were from church. So I bribed my cousin with my Sunday school money to come to the dance with me. He came, he danced the entire night with Michelle Graves. They became high school sweethearts, stayed together until they both went away to college. They became the best of friends. She's still kind of like a part of the family and every time I see her, I spit at her. <laughs> really still mad about that, I have feelings. <sighs> so junior year was the big thing though. Junior year was like an actual prom. Okay, and I had no options, okay? There was no black boys in my class. The white dudes was not checking for me. I couldn't bring a black kid from church because we saw how that went down. I didn't know what I was gonna do. I literally got so upset about it that I made myself sick and stayed home from school for a couple days. My mom took me to the doctor. The doctor said, I don't think there's anything wrong with her. I think it's just stress. And my mother, my black mother, asked me what was wrong, and I told her I was worried about the dance, and she was like, uh-uh, you take your black ass to school tomorrow. You're not missing school over a dance, but what, what happened was, the couple days off gave me time to think, right? So between an episode of The Munsters and Gilligan's Island, I came up with a plan. There were five black boys in the senior class. I was going in. I was gonna get one of those dudes. The um, problem is that when I got there, I found out that the other black girls in my class had already thought of that. So the Puerto Rican or biracial girl, I said, I don't know, she ended up with the cutest guy, in the, the cutest black guy in the senior class. His name was Carl, and he looked like um, Stephen Curry and Elle DeBarge had a baby. He was delicious, he was like, really pretty and he had curly hair and he like danced really well and um, she was also very pretty and like nobody could hate on that because it was just right, right? Noni Chaney landed the second best hot black guy in the senior class and he was hot because he licked his lips like LL Cool J and we, <laughs> like we all kind of wanted to get in there. Um, 
But we also thought that he would get her pregnant, so we were scared. Um, but anyway, she got him. Two of the other white ki- what, black, yeah, black guys in the senior class were dating white girls because, let's face it, white girls love to bring a black guy home, right? Freaks out your fathers. Um, so it left one senior class black guy for me. And I couldn't understand why he was available because I loved this guy. We were really good friends, okay? We hung out all the time. We were in drama club together. We were in school choir together. We would drive around in his car and sing the soundtrack to Little Shop of Horrors and Les Mis and Dreamgirls together. We both went as Janet Jackson for Halloween. (laughs) Hindsight being 2020. I now realize that Craig was gay. But at the time I thought he was just the most fun person ever. Didn't really matter too much though. We went to the dance. We had an amazing time. We brought the party, okay? Every song, it was me and him in the middle of the dance floor. We was getting it. Everybody was dancing around us. Yes, right? It was magic. I was having my John Hughes movie moment. Ah, so excited. And then when we left the prom, we're all in the limo, we're going to the after party, and all the other couples are together, and they're whispering and kissing. And Craig leans in to whisper to me, can you believe Tiffany is wearing them them tacky Payless shoes? And you know Michelle didn't even go to the hairdressers to get that relaxer. She couldn't get no gel for them baby edges. What? So senior year came along. And I decided that John Hughes could suck it. Because I wasn't even going to bother. Like, I just was not going to the senior prom. Instead, I went to my friend Lee Fusatola's house for that night, and we watched another movie, my new 80s favorite classic. And we ate pizza, and we talked about college and how much better it was going to be in college. Because this new movie had inspired a new plan. In college, I was going to go to the University of Chicago. I was going to go there, and I was going to be really great at school, and then I was going to get into graduate school in New York City. And then right after graduation, um, I was going to drive from Chicago to New York with my roommate's boyfriend, and on the ride, (laughs) on the ride, he would make a pass at me, and I would like blow it off and blow him off, and I'd be like, hey, I'm going to journalism school to become a writer, and he was like, why? So you can write about things that happen to other people? And I was like, oh. Good point. He made a pass at me, I let it go, we get to New York, we go our separate ways, but I run into him several years later, and we become friends, which is weird, because he doesn't believe that men and women can be friends, because the sex part always gets in the way. But we do become friends, and he helps me have more fun, and speak in funny accents, and I even learn to fake an orgasm, and, and, He gets me, right? Like, he gets me. He sees me. And for the first time in my life, I am loved and desired. And it doesn't matter that I'm a weird, blonde, black girl. (laughs) I have a boyfriend. And that's going to be how it goes down. It doesn't. (laughs) At all. And so I adopted some new movies. I went through a whole, like, 1990s neo-soul black romance film thing totally expecting like Tay Diggs or Lorenz Tate to come for me. That didn't happen either. So now I've downshifted to TV sitcom desires. And here's what I think is gonna happen now. 
If you know any, um, you know, funny or fat police officers, uh, perhaps a geeky Silicon Valley guy, somebody who works at a university in Pasadena maybe, even a lesbian who might be imprisoned for some low security crime, call me. Because I think that's my new thing. I've given up on movie romances. It's all about TV now. Thank you guys. Keep it going for Nikki Bailey. Oh, Lord. Well, I gotta say, Nikki, we are living in the second golden age of television, so things are looking up. Um, guys, uh, we are at the end of our show now. This is how many years we've been going now? One full year. That's incredible. <laughs> wow. Uh, but sincerely, this doesn't happen without you guys showing up to things, which excites me um, that I can, I can say, uh, hey, there will be alcohol somewhere and also funny stories. And then I don't come home to an empty room. So uh, home was the wrong word, I realized. Um, so anyway, thank you guys so much for joining us for the one-year anniversary edition of Personally Speaking. We'll see you next month. And like I always say, you don't have to stay here, but you can never go home. Thank you, everybody. Have a great night. That's our show, folks. Follow us at It's Personal Now on Twitter or email us at personallyspeakingshow at gmail.com. Quick shout out to the Richie Rich and Westifer Show, a news podcast recorded in West Hollywood. Much love from the east side. Our show is recorded and edited by Matt Rains, and our show's event flyers, which you can find on the Facebook event pages, are made by Armando Martinez-Celis, whose work you can find at mtzcelis.com. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next month.